The Conscious Spirituality Channel. I'm your host, Aaron Tomlinson. Welcome to Sunday Morning Live. I'm streaming in my Facebook group, the New Day Global Facebook group, and on YouTube. So, welcome. Today's going to be a little bit different. <laughs> I just uh, woke up with a download, really, of a lot of different things that I want to bring together and connect. I want to talk about... Uh, the supernatural hidden in plain sight and looking over, bringing a lot of things together. Like I said, kind of just rambling uh, a bit of a download that I received looking over my experiences within Christianity, which I talked about last week, experiences with the supernatural and looking at why most people in religion, most people in Christianity don't experience the supernatural on a consistent basis and also looking at a western tradition of spirituality that let's just say is hidden in plain sight and i'll show you some things from our culture particularly things from the last century that reveals esoteric wisdom (laughs) let's dig into this One of the questions that gets wrestled with a lot or that I wrestle with a lot is why when I was in ministry and my life as a Christian was so directed and impacted and imprinted with supernatural phenomena when so many of my brethren, other pastors, other leaders, other Christians who shared the same religious beliefs that I did, who studied and preached from the same book as I did, who believed for healing and signs and wonders and miracles and genuine gifts of prophecy and things like this, and why they weren't as successful or didn't experience as much supernatural phenomena as some of the stuff I talked about in one of my last videos, and why I did and what we can do about it, and why... Or, or how we can let go of the religious trappings and the religious ideas and enter into supernatural experiences and supernatural phenomena. So I'm going to be sharing some really crucial principles and truths to help you if you want to be able to have a more mystical, more paranormal, more, more paranormal, more supernatural experience. So you have to forgive me. I'm struggling a little bit this morning with my voice and um, getting my thoughts to connect with my mouth. (laughs) Because some of the stuff was coming to me so quickly when I woke up this morning. So let's start with one of the things I realized, and I've known this, but it just came to me in a fresh way this morning that really brought the realization of it to me. So one of the things that I don't talk about, I talk about deconstructing in 2016. And I talk about how my deconstruction, if you've watched me at all, listened to my teachings at all, I talk about how my deconstruction was birthed out of a vision, a meditation, a out-of-body experience, a dreamlike state while I was awake. Probably be the best way to explain it. Where I was taken through several different sections of this sort of visionary journey that I had where I was shown at the very beginning the clear futility of 
exoteric religion. And so if, if you want to know the difference between what I was doing and what most people in the church world are doing, then I need to introduce you to a couple terms. You may know the meaning of these terms, but one is exoteric and the other is esoteric. One is exoteric and one is esoteric. Exoteric refers to that which is outside of us, that which is external. It also would relate to the masses. It would relate to the basic teachings of any religion. So the exoteric truths or teachings or principles, let's say of Christianity, has to do with the doctrines of it, and it has to do with the literal historical interpretation of all of it. So these things literally historically happened. For the fundamentalist, there was a literal historic Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve and the talking serpent were literal historical events and accounts. So Adam was a literal man. Eve was a literal woman. The serpent was a literal serpent. Eden was a literal place. And all of it is historical in terms of our origins. Jesus, uh, Moses was a literal person, a historical person. The wanderings in the wilderness, the miracles that happened, the receiving of the Ten Commandments of the law, literal historical events. This is the exoteric approach to things. Jesus was a literal historical person. The Gospels are accurate accounts of his miracles and of his teachings. He literally died on the cross. He literally raised from the dead. He literally ascended and is seated in a literal heaven on a literal throne with streets of gold in a cube-like shape and whatever we read about in the book of Revelation. So the exoteric approach would be to say these are the teachings that are available to the masses, This is what is taught publicly. Um, It's embraced literally and historically. And everything's happening outside of us. Everything's happening external to us. And so if there's going to be a miracle, we have to pray to God who is outside of us, God who is other other than us. And then God has to make a decision, decide whether or not he's going to answer our prayers or our longings, our wishes, And then independently of us and externally of us, but in response to our prayers and in answers to our prayers, acts upon certain various situations. (laughs) So if I go to pray for healing for someone, then I am praying to God sitting on his throne, praying to God up in heaven, using the power of the name of Jesus, trying to believe that God is going to see my faith or see my prayer or see my longing or see my desire and decide to act in my favor, and then God, external from me, acts externally on the person to bring them healing and answer my prayer. That's the exoteric approach to spirituality, and that's where we get religion. All religion is exoteric. Then there is the esoteric. The esoteric simply means that which is hidden, that which is coded, that which is uh, embedded inside of the stories, embedded inside of the teachings, which points us not to something external or something outside of ourselves, but points to internal realities 
about our lives spiritually and helps us to sort out or sort of escape the matrix, if you will. Um, a lot of movies, a lot of movies have a lot of this same principle. There's the exoteric stories and then there's the esoteric meanings. And a lot of brilliant filmmakers, uh, Stanley Kubrick comes to mind, uh, even Steven Spielberg, um, they use all kinds of embedded sacred geometry in their scenes <laughs> that relate to the story about what's being revealed and what's being told. So if you watch the movie literally and just go see it for entertainment, then you're having the exoteric experience. If you know a little bit about how to look for the esoteric meanings, you can find the sacred geometries and you can find the esoteric meanings embedded within the movie. So, for example, in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're on this quest to um, find the Ark of the Covenant, which has sacred esoteric meaning especially in Jewish Kabbalah. And at the end of the movie, the Ark is put in a box by government powers bent on power in the material world using science, bent on war and things like that. And the Ark of the Covenant is put in a box and it's stored or it's hidden away among a bunch of other boxes at the end of the movie, which symbolizes for me how the powers that be, governmental powers and religious powers, conceal or hide away the esoteric meanings that can really transform our lives and awaken latent occult powers within us. So that's just one example of that. So I hope I hope I've illustrated for you the <clears throat> exoteric and the esoteric. Now, what people don't realize about the Western world. Western civilization and society is we, we tend to think of the Western world as built upon Christianity or Christian symbols and symbolism, at least when we're talking about religion and spirituality. And so you have the exoteric, you have the organizations again outside of us, things outside of us, the, the church, you have to go through a priest to get your sins forgiven. You have to have a priest change the Eucharist and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. Or you have other exoteric organizations. Uh, every denomination, right, is an exoteric reality. It's something outside of us, something that we have to join. But there has also been, for centuries, in the Western world, an esoteric teaching that, for the most part, was passed down through secret Societies. So you can think of groups like the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, um, some of the occult lodges like the Golden Dawn, which, you know, came about considerably later, where a different kind of spiritual reality, a different understanding of the divine, a different understanding of the supernatural is embedded in symbols and in imagery. So this is really important because in order to 
attain supernatural experiences. Um, genuine visions, genuine prophetic inspirations, genuine leadership of what we would call the, what we might have called the Holy Spirit. Even the, the power to bring change to the physical plane in the sense of miracles and healings and signs and wonders requires that a person understands the non-material aspects of reality, the non-material aspects of reality. This is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential that we understand the non-material aspects to reality, and those aspects are accessed through consciousness, through what can be called the imaginal realm. So I'm going to give you another term, imaginal, imaginal realm. Now, that sounds like imagination, right? And... So the doorway into the supernatural is through the imaginal realm. It's through imagery. It's through symbols. It's through pictures. It's communicated again in sacred geometry. I'll get into one of the most common symbols of sacred geometry that's out there. That's one of the most misunderstood symbols, especially by Christians, and that's the pentagram, which is a five-pointed star. <clears throat> and, you know, the pentagram is seen as evil. But uh, it's actually very a very profound spiritual symbol of sacred geometry. So the tarot deck, the tarot deck, the <clears throat> that is most commonly used today. I mean, there's so many different kinds of tarot. There's zombie tarot. There's cat tarot. There's uh, the Thoth tarot deck that Aleister Crowley created. But <clears throat> most tarot decks are based somewhat on the Rider Waite deck, which was assembled by Arthur Edward Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith. I can't remember the publisher, but anyway, so the tarot deck, at least the, yeah, Rider Waite is what it's called, the Rider Waite, but it's actually was produced by Arthur Edward Waite and Pamela Coleman-Smith, and it has embedded in it all kinds of symbolism. And the idea is is that by meditating on tarot imagery, it reaches into that imaginal realm. Now, the imaginal realm is a realm of consciousness that is the gateway to the supernatural. It's the gateway to the spiritual. But... And, and it's very similar to the imagination. <laughs> and I'll talk about the imagination and versus that which is of the imagination versus that which is imaginal. And the importance of that, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I want to, like I said, I'm kind of rambling all over the place, kind of trying to find the right way to express what I want to express here. And I'm struggling a little bit. <clears throat> it's not flowing really easy for me right now, but I'm sure I'll get there. So... What I began to realize was, and what I don't talk about, this is where I started, is that in the year 2000, I became really disillusioned. In the year 2000, in the year 2016, I really began to deconstruct. But in the year 2000, I became really disillusioned with evangelical Christianity, really disillusioned with um, the word of faith, really with Pentecostalism in the year 2000. And yet I still had this spark and interest and desire for 
embarking on a spiritual journey or a spiritual quest. And so really at that point in 2000, I pretty much chugged throughout most of what was presenting itself as modern Christianity. And I began to explore mysticism. I began to look at some of the writings of the early church fathers like uh, Origen, who took an esoteric approach to scripture. I began to read a lot of metaphysical books. I began to study a lot of metaphysical philosophy. I began to look at how our thoughts and feelings and imagination could help us shape reality around us. I got into meditation. I got into contemplative prayer. I started using binaural beats, which are beats that you listen to through headphones that manipulate brainwave patterns to help you access different states of consciousness. And so I started working with states of consciousness in the year 2000, and I started preaching the Bible from a more metaphysical or a more symbolic, more uh, I began to bring out more of the symbolism, more of the metaphor. Sometimes I would talk and I would preach, and very few people would understand what I was saying because I was bringing forth the esoteric. I was bringing forth the symbolism. I was bringing forth the archetypes. I was bringing. I, w- I was taking what was there rather than locking it into literal historical interpretation. I was saying we can look at this literal historical story and it can speak truth about our lives and the way we experience our lives today if we look at it from a symbolic and metaphoric uh, place. And then this combined with meditation, this combined with learning how to be present in the moment, this combined with learning how to balance uh, certain emotions or <clears throat> how to uh, just access that imaginal realm. One of the things that I taught for years, uh, people, especially when we were going through all those times of signs and wonders and miracles was about accessing this imaginal realm that I'll talk about in a minute. <clears throat> and so I realized that if I sit back and I think about what I was teaching people were the keys way back in, you know, it started about 2005. So I had about five years of this sort of initiation myself into this place of the esoteric into this place of the mystical into this place of the mysteries. And then from about 2005 onward until probably about 2016, when things really shifted again for me, um, we had these experiences of the supernatural consistently. I talked about it in my video last week. So, so when I think about that now, some of the stuff, like, none of it really depended on the literal or historical or fundamentalist interpretation of Christianity. It depended upon how we were managing what was going on within us and how we were connecting with what I would call back then Christ within or the divine spark or divinity within us and how we would use sacred writings and sacred stories to speak to us in a way that would begin to order our internal world and point our star in the upward direction back then for sure, pointing it in the upward direction. And so <laughs> I woke up this morning thinking about these things, and all of a sudden I started thinking about the Wizard of Oz. 
and how the Wizard of Oz is an allegory of the spiritual journey. And it's true that the author, can't remember the author's name right now, uh, didn't have time to look it up, Frank, yeah, somebody put it in the comments, somebody that knows better than me, the author of The Wizard of Oz, uh, you can put it in the comments. He was actually a, a member of the Theosophy Society, which was Madame Blavatsky's society, uh, Theosophy, which sought to look at what the core teaching was, the core mystical teaching or the core spiritual teaching of all the world's religions and of all the world's greatest philosophies. And she elucidates these in her book, Isis Unveiled, in her book, The Secret Doctrine. And the author of The Wizard of Oz was a student of theosophy. And so in The Wizard of Oz, now theosophy, the word theo is the Greek word for God, or is it the Latin? I can't remember. <laughs> um, and then Sophie or Sophia is wisdom. So it's the divine wisdom. So theosophy is the divine wisdom. So embedded in the Wizard of Oz is the divine wisdom. And it explains so much for us. It's like, and this is where I'm, I can start to get into my flow because this was sort of the download that I got this morning, that the Wizard of Oz, you know, this thing that plays every year. When I was growing up, it would play every year around Easter. There's a reason for that. And it absolutely explains for me why there are people who experience the supernatural and why there are people who were in, immersed in religion and very seldom experienced the, the supernatural. Because in the allegory itself, and this is probably fairly easily recognized, and I'm sure some atheists have capitalized on this and said that the author was a, was an atheist. I don't know that for sure, but it, because it's so plainly, like the Wizard of Oz so plainly to me shows the futility, the, the mechanisms of religion, specifically the Christian religion. So we start with Dorothy, who's having a miserable, terrible time, and her dog Toto is about to be put down, right? <clears throat> and... Uh, and she's always having to be rescued. She's always having to be helped. She really is the helpless little girl who's just struggling through life and thinks life in this world just completely sucks for her, right? So, of course, we have Judy Garland singing the famous song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, right? Somewhere over the rainbow, life is better. Well, this is a clear depiction of the religious person who is suffering through life and just waiting to be caught away, just waiting to fly away, just waiting to, you know, when we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. Uh, we'll just toil through this life, struggle through this life, and then eventually we'll be caught away into the heavens and everything will be fine. So then, of course, you know, the next part of the story, there's a big tornado that comes. And if you think about it, a tornado is a winding spiral. I'll return to that in a minute. It's a winding spiral that takes something up. And she goes into her house. And she goes up. The house gets uprooted out of Kansas, right? And it begins to ascend. It begins to climb. It begins to go over the rainbow into the land of Oz. And she's watching. This is important. Think about what I was saying about the imaginal realm. She's watching on this out her window. And she's watching all these various different images pass before her. And, of course, there's the 
image of the Wicked Witch of the East, I think it is. And then she lands in Oz. She lands in this mythical, colorful, spectacular place. Only I guess this is a little bit different than um, Christian heaven in that the Wicked Witch of the West is there, right, to bring accusations. I guess that could be symbolic of Satan, you know, bringing accusations. And then you have the Witch of the North, Glenda, the Witch of the North, who points her on the yellow brick road, the golden pathway, to the Wizard of Oz. And if they can get, if she can get to the Wizard of Oz, and if she can just get an audience with the Wizard, if she can just speak with the Wizard, then the Wizard can give her the thing that she desires, which is the power to return home. So when she starts on the path, something really interesting, I want you to watch the symbolism. She's caught up in a tornado, right, which the tornado, while it represents ascension, it also represents how in the beginning part of the story, Dorothy is blown about by every wind that's blowing, right, her emotions, her life, everything, it's a whirlwind, literally a whirlwind. And she's literally a whirlwind, which is why she's Dorothy Gale, right? I mean, the symbolism that's there. And so she gets caught up, and then when she starts to take the yellow brick road, it's not a straight path. It's not a straight path that's going. It's a winding path. She starts it because the yellow brick road, at least initially itself, is also in a spiral pattern, just like the tornado. And along the way, she meets... What is it? Three other companions. She meets the cowardly lion. She meets the tin man. And she meets the scarecrow. And then you have Dorothy. And then you have Toto. So you have five companions or five characters who are following the yellow brick road. And each one of them are looking to the wizard, looking for an audience with the wizard to find something that they want. The The lion, the cowardly lion, wants to find his courage, which I think it's interesting that it's a lion because one of the truths that's embedded in the story is that we have to have courage in order to face hard truths about ourselves instead of cowardly lying to ourselves and telling ourselves stories that aren't true of us, right? This could represent the ego, but it's cowardly. And so the lion is looking for courage. The scarecrow is looking for wisdom or he's looking for a brain. The tin man is looking for a heart. Dorothy is looking to go back to Kansas. And then you've got Toto, who plays kind of a significant, very subtle role in the movie and in the story as well. So I guess this would be a good time to bring in the pentagram. So what is a pentagram? A pentagram is a five-pointed star, and it usually has the the top star pointing upwards towards the sky, but there's an upside-down pentagram that can also be used symbolically and spiritually where the point is pointing downwards. Now, if you point the star downwards, I want you to notice it doesn't have a good base. The pentagram is meant to be pointing upward if for no other reason, geometrically, it has the two legs of the star as a solid base with the one point at the top. If you point it upside down, it's not going to balance. It's not, it's, it's going to be completely out of balance and wobbly. <clears throat> now, what do the, what do the five points of the star represent? Because each one represents something. So at the center 
of the star in the middle of the star, it represents us and our lives and our spiritual lives. And the other, the, the points of the star represent the forces of life that we have to contend with and we have to learn how to balance. And they are the four elements of earth, wind, water, and fire, with the fifth star representing what they call the fifth element or the aether or the spiritual or spirit, ether, aether, spirit, the fifth element, hypostasis to the ancient Greeks. This is the, this is the fifth element, right? This is the spiritual element. And the other four represent the material elements or the material world. But from an esoteric perspective, it's understood that each one of these points, each one of these elements represent not only physical characteristics, but they represent uh, elements of our consciousness and elements of our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this connects with the <clears throat> this connects with the um, hermetic principle of <clears throat> as above, so below or as within, so without. So in other words, from an esoteric point of view, the world is not just not just matter and energy. It's not just materialism, and that's all that exists. Matter and energy and forces, that's all that there is. It basically says there are other layers or, or dimensions of reality that have the same imprint, the same principle, but operating in a different way. So from the esoteric perspective, within us we have fiery passions that act very much like fire. And that can represent our passions, that can represent our desires. In one sense, that can be represented by Dorothy in her urge to run away, in her urge to leave home, in her urge to get to the Wizard of Oz. It can be represented as the Wicked Witch, right? That part of her that she has to tame, that she has to quench. Right. Um, <clears throat> air represents thought. Uh, <clears throat> our thinking capacities. This is why in comic strips, the old comic strips, they would put your thought in a cloud because thoughts are represented by air. <clears throat> Water is put in the cups. Water represents the emotions. <clears throat> the emotions that we're holding. What's in our cup? Is our cup full of love and joy and peace? Does our cup runneth over, like David said? Or is our cup full of wrath and jealousy? Or is our cup full of hatred? So cups represent, I'm sorry, water represents the emotional realm. And then earth represents the material forces in our life. So we see this same thing in the tarot deck, right? We see this same thing in the tarot deck. <clears throat> so the tarot deck symbolically represents all the aspects of our life. You have what's called the arcanas. If you know anything about the tarot deck, they're called the arcanas. The word arcana means secret or mystery. So you have <clears throat> 22 cards that are the major arcanas or the major secrets, and these represent the major forces that we encounter throughout our lives, the major secrets, the major archetypes, if you will. Then you have four suits. You have cups, which represent the element of water and the emotions. You have uh, pentacles, the coins, which represent the material uh, aspect 
of our lives. You have swords, which cut through the air, which represent our thoughts. And then you have the rods, which represent fire or our desires. Now, you have five companions on the golden path to see the wizard. You have the lion, who represents fire. You have the scarecrow looking for a brain, who represents thoughts or air. You have a tin man who's looking for a heart, who represents water or the emotions. You have Dorothy, who's trying to make it back home, who represents earth. And then you have Toto, who represents the spiritual dimension of life. And we'll come back to Toto on the part that he plays in a minute, or represents that fifth element. And so you have all these various different adventures until they get to the wizard himself. They get to the Emerald City, and they get to the wizard himself. And this is, you know, clearly a parable on religion. They get to the wizard, and they find out that it's all just a bunch of theatrics, that there really is no wizard out there, and that the wizard has no power to grant them their wishes or their desires, but rather he's a feeble, sort of foolish old man who is... uh pulling all the strings right behind the curtain. And you have Toto because Toto also represents the intuitions. And this is important. Toto represents a guidance system inside all of us that is not dependent upon our external experiences, that isn't dependent upon the uh, elemental realm, the material realm. In other words, to just be led by our understanding of materialism or to be led by logical thinking and stuff like that or to be out of balance and be led by our emotions or by our thoughts or by our passions or by our material circumstances, but to be led from within by something else, by Toto. And so Toto's the one, that two important roles, if I remember the story correctly, that Toto does with the wizard is that Toto goes under the curtain and exposes the wizard for what he is, actually is, And when he's getting ready, when the balloon is leaving at the end, it's because of Toto that Dorothy doesn't make it onto the balloon. And I'll come back to that in a minute. So when we would talk about divine guidance back in the day, when we had to talk about, you know, if you have a vision or if you have an intuition or if you have a word and we would say, well, is that me? Is that God? Is that me? Or is that the devil? From this perspective, it's a little bit more nuanced in that we break the who is it is in other words is this guidance being influenced or directed by the emotions that i'm experiencing at this time these are better questions to ask instead of is it god is it me or is it the devil am i being led by um too much by fear or too much by joy or too much by you know something by my, my emotions am i being influenced in this guidance by my thinking am i overthinking it am i overcomplicating it am i trying to figure out just in my mind all the solutions to this am i being too impacted by circumstances by the earth right by the circumstances that are going on in my life too impacted by money or the need for money or whatever's happening here or am i being too um Let's see, what did I, what did I forget? <laughs> Am I being too, too pulled by my desires, by my passions, different than emotions, right? Um, am I being pushed or nudged by my desire, by my fiery passion for this? And you have to be able to have all of that in balance and you have to be able to notice the subtleties of intuition to know if that's 
genuine guidance, right? So that's why. So at the end of the day, what do we find out? What, what does the wizard tell all the characters in the story except for Dorothy? Basically, he points out to the lion that the way he confronted situations along the path, that the courage that he was looking for was always there and always within him. That the scarecrow and the wisdom that he used, that his brain was always there and always within him. And same thing with the Tin Man, right? That the Tin Man, the elements of empathy and heart were always there. So that what they thought they didn't have, what they thought they had to go seek the wizard for, what they thought they had to get to the Emerald City to get, they all had within them. Right. It points them back to you have these things within you and you're accessing them along the journey. You're just not recognizing that you're accessing them. Now, Dorothy, in order to get home, right, uh, she has to have Glenda tell her you've been wearing the shoes that could take you home the entire time. The, the path that you were walking, the very thing that was carrying you along the path is the very thing you need to get you to the place that you want to be or to take you home. So the the the. the point of the story is to quit looking outside yourself for these things and start to look within yourself for these things. And so what this shows me and what I was seeing today uh, is that so many people get lost in a fantasy world that <coughs> that they're buying into the fantasy. They're like Dorothy. A lot of people who get saved, who go to church, who pray, who preach and teach, they're like Dorothy. They're just trying to get out of life's hardships. They are just trying to um, not face and confront their problems or their situations. They feel helpless. They're waiting for other people to show them the path. They're waiting for other people to come and rescue them. But ultimately, more than anything, they just want to get out of here. I want to fly away, oh glory. I want to sing and shout the victory when I get to heaven. I want to go somewhere over the rainbow where all this trial and tribulation and difficulty and stuff doesn't exist. And if I find that someplace over the rainbow, then everything's going to be fine. And so we get caught up in this whirlwind, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, right? And we we start on this straight and narrow path trying to get to the wizard so that the wizard or trying to get to God outside of us or trying to get to this this thing only to find out that religion is mostly man-made that the the you know and that's the deconstruction path and so there's different phases and stages of this sort of internal alchemy there's the stage of, and, and you have to. So if you're on the stage, if you're at the, at the stage or the level of Dorothy trying to get over the rainbow, trying to get the wizard to answer your prayers, then you have to discover the futility of the wizard. So in other words, here's what I'm saying. If I'm stuck in that stage where I'm trying to look for the better place, I'm trying to get up into the heavens, I'm trying to escape the reality and the situations and the trials and tribulations that I'm facing, and I want God to come in and fix it for me, I want to pray to God and have God come in and fix all this stuff for me, then I have to discover the futility of it. I have to discover that it's a fantasy. So, of course, I don't get my prayers answered. Of course, I don't see results because the point is I have to become disillusioned. That's the whole point of it. The whole point of exoteric religion is to, is for people that are at that phase and stage of their 
spiritual growth and evolution and development who recognize there's something over the rainbow rainbow there's something more than this secular material world and this hardship and these sufferings that I'm living in and I and I buy into this looking for this emerald city right that's a, that's a good stage because it gets you started on the journey but the point of that journey is for you to fail the point of that journey is for you to become miserable and become so miserable with it that you see the futility of it so that you can lose your illusions so that you become disillusioned think about the word just the word disillusion to dissolve your illusions to to become set free from those illusions and that's the deconstruction path when uh, people that are deconstructing have simply followed toto if you will uh behind the curtain to see the futi- the futility of what's there And then the next phase is to realize everything that you've been looking outside yourself for to find God is actually inside of you. The answers to your problems are actually inside of you. The spiritual resources, the divine resources, the wisdom, the courage, the empathy. It's all there, the intuition, it's all there inside of you. And as you access these things and balance these things, then you begin to have access to confront situations and change situations on the physical plane and bring balance back to your life. It's interesting that I think in one of the opening scenes that Dorothy is trying to balance, I think, uh, uh, upon like a pig pen or something, and she falls over in the pig pen, and I think her uncle has to rescue her out or something. Like, There's so much symbolism in the movie, right? She's starting out of balance. She's trying to find balance. She's trying to balance the forces, the four elements within her, right? And this is where I want to come back now to the imaginal realm, because there's a difference between imaginal realm and, ima- and imagination. So here's an absolute key, essential key for you for experiencing the supernatural and finding the mystical and finding the supernatural in plain sight. It's not outside of you. It's within you. It's within your consciousness, and it's accessed primarily through spiritual senses, through spiritual senses. Now, imagination, imagination and spiritual senses are the exact same faculties. The same faculty that I might have to perceive a spiritual being that is authentic and has authentic guidance or truth, I use the same faculty that I would use to imagine the tin man sitting right next to me here. I can just pretend or imagine and see the Tin Man and even have a conversation with the Tin Man, right? It's the same faculty. But one is complete fantasy and the other might be reality. And we get stuck into all these either-or categories because we haven't understood this. We get to the deconstruction stage and we say, I either have to be a Christian, I either have to be on the exoteric path, or I have to be secular. I either have to be spiritual or secular. I can't, there's, there's no middle path. There's no middle way. There's no third way. There's no spiritual tradition, uh, or pathway or understanding of meaning about God and about life and about these things that I can access. So I have to become completely secular. 
If my, if, if it's the same faculty that allows me to daydream is the same faculty that allows me to access real, hidden reality, unseen realities and other layers of reality that are immaterial but exist and have a, and, and, and interact enough with the physical plane that if I can access that and operate in it, then I can change something on the physical plane. It's the same faculty. If I imagine this conversation with the Tin Man and I can hear him talking to me, that's occurring in my imagination, complete fantasy. But if I encounter something, again, a spiritual entity, let's say an authentic one or an authentic archetype, however you want to understand this, I'm using the same faculty of communication. So for every external sense of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and smelling, I have internal senses. My problem is is that these faculties are creating fantasies for me. So I'm locked and stuck within my imagination. And so a big... the, the whole point of the alchemical process, the transformation of lead into gold. So if I've got a very active imagination, then I've got a lot of lead to work with, but it's lost. Those faculties are lost in fantasy. That's imagination. So what has to happen is those faculties have to become re trained they have to be disciplined and they have to be retrained and they have to be redirected into the imaginal realm and when i get into the imaginal realm then that's an esoteric term for this then i'm accessing those levels and those layers of consciousness that correspond to reality rather than corresponding to fantasy and that's the purpose of the tarot deck the purpose of the tarot deck originally the rider weight tarot deck was not so much for it to be a tool of divination or a tool of fortune telling but for it to hold within it the sacred images and the sacred geometries that would help free me from my bondage to fantasy and to the material and to materiality only so that I can shift and center on these other uh realms and realities that are accessed through the spiritual senses or through the imaginal realm rather than in the realm of the imagination that's the gold that I'm after and then once I can do that then I'm on the path So that's a key, that's a really, really important key difference. And so what we have to understand is that when we are stuck in exoteric religion, fundamentalist religion, literalist religion, we are in Oz going to try and meet with the wizard, and we have to realize that it's all fantasy. And that happened for me in 2000. I didn't realize it, but I entered that stage. So I entered the the Dorothy I'll Fly Away stage, in the late 80s, 1989, 1990, when my life was, when I was full of pain and my life was a mess and was full of trauma and I wanted to escape to some place over the rainbow and I wanted to find a wizard that would fix stuff for me. And I go through about 10 or 11 years of that stuff and then I become completely disillusioned with that stuff and I begin to look within. And so that's what I would teach people. Everything that you need is already within you. Uh, God is able to, Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all you can ask or think according to the power that's at work within you. You have to stop looking outside yourself and you have to start looking within yourself. Within you, there are wells of living water. Within you, streams of living water come out. This is why I think the Gospel of John is one of the most powerful esoteric books ever written if we just change one word in the prologue. 
In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was consciousness. In the beginning was thoughts. In the beginning was mind. However you want to understand it, right? And this, this is God. And light and life is in it. And, and this light is inside every person who comes into the planet. They just don't know it yet. But the line shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it or cannot comprehend it because it's, 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 it's a mystery. It's, it, it, the light is there. The ark is in the box, but the box is put away with a bunch of other boxes and hidden in plain sight and concealed by society that doesn't want people to access it. And so there, that, that Greek word there can mean the darkness has not overcome the light, but it can also mean that the darkness does not comprehend the light. In other words, it's telling us right there that this is a secret path that you have to be at a certain level of evolution. You have to have already gone through some of the disillusionment in order to then begin to see the truth of what's really hidden in plain sight, what's really there. And then you have to balance your energies, these energies within yourself. You have to transform yourself. And once you've transformed yourself and transformed your own consciousness, then you open a gateway or a doorway or a window to higher realms and higher uh, consciousness to higher abilities, but those abilities then are to be brought back down, to, to bring Dorothy back home, to be firmly grounded right here and now, to actually come home and find out there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And we bring that magic and we bring that stuff with us, right? And now we've got what we need to face, the trials and the tribulations and the things that are going on. It's all within us. So back to the Gospel of John. So what John is is saying there, uh, you know, that this light is inside of every person, that the darkness cannot comprehend it, that the darkness cannot overcome it. And then it says the word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word among there in a Greek is a Greek word that most of the time is translated as in. Anytime Paul uses the term in Christ, it's the word that is for used translated in there is also the same word that's in John chapter 1, verse 14, that gets translated among. So it can be translated inside or within. And a good, honest Bible, when you read it, it will have a little asterisk by the word among. And you go look, or it'll have a number or something, and you go look in your margins, and you will see an asterisk, and it will say, or within us. And if it had just been translated that way, then we would read the Gospel of John from an esoteric perspective rather than from an exoteric perspective. And we would understand that the Logos became flesh and dwelt within me or dwelt within us, and we have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then what happens the very next thing that happens is that Jesus shows up on the scene. He's baptized by John the Baptist and two disciples uh, approach Jesus and call him teacher or rabbi. And he says, what is it that you seek? And they said, we seek to know where you dwell. We seek to know where you abide. Same thing. The word became flesh and dwelt, dwelt within us, dwelt within us, abides within us. Mino in the Greek. Jesus looks at the disciples. What is it that you seek? Master, we want to know where you mino. We want to know where you dwell. We want to know where you abide. And so then the next portions of the book, we read stories where Jesus is telling the people in the stories, if you read it literally, if you understand it literally, you mean the, you miss the entire meaning. So Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus says, am I to enter the mother's womb? 
And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point because you're interpreting it literally. He meets the woman at the well. Sir, where can I find this water so I don't have to come here and draw where I will never thirst again? And he's pointing out to her, you're missing the point. (laughs) If you read it literally, you're missing the point. Where is this manna in the wilderness that you're going to give us in the next part? There is no literal manna. My words are spirit. My words are truth. This is what's going to give you manna. This is what's going to feed you in this life. So it's pointing to things within us. And then when you get to the culmination of it in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, the word dwell and abide. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. It's all pointing to the fact that the spirit, the divine spark, the divine essence, all of it dwells within you. That you have to look within you. That out of you, John 7, will flow rivers of living water. And that's the whole, that's the whole difference. So if you, you mostly, if your mind was preoccupied with Oz and exoteric religion, your prayers won't be answered. You won't see results. You won't see a lot of signs and wonders. That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. So that you can become completely disillusioned with all of it. And then when you start to look within, now now that's where the real monsters lie, right? Because, again, our consciousness is trapped in materiality or secularism, or it's trapped in fantasy, illusion and fantasy. And so I go within and I find my shadow self. I find the wicked witch of the West. I go within and I find the cowardly lion that needs to find his courage. I go within and I find uh, that I'm lacking empathy and love and that I'm like a tin man without a heart. I uh, discover that I'm just a straw man. Think about Think about the symbolism here. I'm just a straw man. I'm a cowardly lion. I'm a straw man with straw man arguments. I'm... Uh, a tin man without a heart. I'm just a tin can. And, and, and yet I have intuition within here. I'm a silly little girl. I'm a silly, frightened little girl. I've got all this stuff within me that I begin to discover that begins to boil up. And I have to, and, and all that stuff has to be balanced. All of that, uh, uh, lead has to be changed into gold. And so the whole thing is an internal process. But as I work through those things internally, as I process those things, as I heal those things, as I balance those things, as I balance those forces, now I'm ready to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I'm ready to receive exceedingly and abundantly above all I can ask or think according to the power that's at work within me. Now I'm ready for those rivers of living water to be flowing out of me because I have become recentered out of the imagination, out of the fantasy of religion, out of the uh, just prison of materialism. And by that, I mean this material world is all there is. And at the end of the day, this is it. So I get over the rainbow. But after I get over the rainbow, I go through this journey where I balance these forces inside of me. And then when I balance these forces inside of me, then I realize I'm wearing the ruby slippers and I can just click my heels and find my way home. So that, so all of that hidden and embedded in this children's story, right, of the Wizard of Oz, showing us the various different stages of alchemy, showing us the various different stages of initiation, showing us the the, the reality of the, the elemental reality of the sacred geometry of the pentagram, all of this being given to us. And here's the thing. The Apostle Paul said, all scripture is inspired by God. And we said, all scripture is contained from Genesis to Revelation. That that's it. We find the sacred from Genesis to Revelation. But he, 
he couldn't have meant that because all of it hadn't even been written yet when he said that. It's inspired or it's God breathed and it's profitable for equipping you. So guess what? This is the same thing. This is why I get irritated with people who think that ancient people were dummies. If you think ancient people are dummies, go back and read some of their writings. I bet you can't even understand them. Go back and watch, go, go watch some episodes of ancient aliens or something and look at the sacred geometry of the, of the pyramids or of the Mayan temples and how it aligns perfectly on, uh, uh, astronomically with Sirius and with the planets and with the seasons. Because what we don't understand is that spiritual truth is communicated in fantastical stories. Just like the Wizard of Oz. You could make a religion out of the Wizard of Oz. You could say there is some place called Oz. There is some place over the rainbow. There is a wicked witch of the West that's out to get you. There is a good witch that's pointing you in the right direction. There is an all-powerful Oz. And if you can just get an audience with him. But if you look deeper, you see embedded in the stories. So I want to suggest to you that the Wizard of Oz is inspired scripture. Oh, don't take my word for it. Frank Baum, was that the guy, was that the guy's last name, B-A-U-M? He actually, when he was asked about the Wizard of Oz and how he wrote it, he said, I did not write it. He said, it came to me from the great author. And he capitalizes the, the T and the, the G in great, and the A in author. The great author. It came to me from the great author. I was merely his medium that was used to pen it. So the ancients, I don't think they, I don't think they believed their stories literally. The masses might have, and just like masses believe in scriptures literally today, but I think they were being penned by people who had esoteric understanding and esoteric knowledge and knowledge about consciousness and knowledge about these other levels and layers of reality and they were hiding it in fantastical stories and in symbols and in imagery just like Frank Baum was doing in The Wizard of Oz. But it takes inspiration, it takes seeking, it takes meditation and frankly it, it takes what I would call some divine inspiration to for that to open up for you, for it to become the bread of life for you to become revelation for you, to become something powerful that you can take and use and apply to your life. All right. I finally found my groove. I started out rough, man. <laughs> so if you've watched this all the way through, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you appreciate our work, please uh, feel free to uh, donate or consider donating and supporting the Facebook. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Facebook. Uh, the link is to our PayPal account is in the link both on Facebook and on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube and you haven't joined the New Day Global group yet on Facebook, I'd encourage you to do that. If you're in the New Day uh, Facebook group, you're watching this on Facebook and you haven't subscribed to my uh, YouTube channel, I'd appreciate it if you do that. That also helps uh, bring in support so we can keep this stuff going. Um, I'll have to go back and look at the comments. Thanks again for watching. If you're watching by replay, let me know you're watching by replay. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. I hope this made sense. And uh, I hope it was a blessing to you. And I will see you if you're in the group. I'll see you tomorrow night when we talk about this some more. That's just for the private group. And uh, otherwise, I'll see you next week. Thanks.